Previously on HG World presents the Gujis. You just had to be there, I guess, kid. It wasn't just sloth. See, there were two other wobbly mountains of flesh in that room I didn't get the pleasure of meeting. Brother Glutton and Brother Gorge. Sounds like a law firm from Dante's Hell. So, uh, Brother Loving, uh, is this your god, then? No, no. This is an heir, a sort of candidate, one of three for this round of selection. Brother Sloth was chosen from over a hundred red monks for his physical and psychological gifts. These men, three monstrous men, looked like their entire lives were about to be judged. It was kind of like an old game show where the judges took forever to decide who was going to leave the island or, or get out from the next round. Who is Doralsha? Just one of her selves who was more important than I knew. This one mind, uh, maybe her true self, I don't, I don't know, emerged there. Every one of those fat, crusty bastards was fighting for the chance to get into the next room. The sacred chamber. Where I met... Oh, man, how do I describe it? What the hell is this? May I introduce you? Brother Kenneth, please meet Shepherd Gourmand III. It's an eater! Now what the fuck is that? They've made a decision. They're going to choose a successor to Shepard Gourmand. I left when the Red Robes drew their blades. Joe and Loving looked slightly embarrassed. Slightly sick. Maybe it was over Brother Sloth. I don't know. Loving, Duralcha, and I headed back to the utility corridor. I wanted to go back to Mifflin's loft, watch the rain fall onto the skylights, anything. But I wasn't out of the slaughterhouse very long before I ran into a new friend in a black robe. And now, HG World presents The Gougies, Chapter 5. Good morning, Mr. Peters. The nurse said you'd be out here. Beautiful day. How are you feeling? Did you bring me my cheesesteak? I'm sorry. The nurse could smell it through the door. She confiscated it. Bah! I wish I could fire her. What's the point in keeping me alive if I can't enjoy the things that make it worth living? Did you see my wife? No, sir. I understand she is out. She is out all right. Do me a favor. Don't ask her anything about Miss Joe, okay? Last time that name was brought up, I wound up more drama than the Tony Awards. So, are you able to continue? I'm interested to know what happened when Elder Montcastle attacked you. Spoiler alert, kid. I didn't die. Right. Should I come back later? You look like you could use... Memories are links in a long chain, Marky Mark. Sometimes, to get to the deep ones, you gotta pull up a lot of links. That's tough brain work. It hurts. I'm not sure I understand, Mr. Peters. Well, like, like when you think about an old girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't want to judge, you know. <laughs> Do you find you're able to think only of that person? Or do you make connections and, and comparisons? <coughs> the, does your mind tend to wander? Like, like, you know, like you're looking through a trunk of old letters and pictures and stuff? I don't really have a trunk of old stuff. Well, of course not. Uh, but that's... That's how my brain works, okay? I, I, I'll sit out here... And, and I'll look at that big oak tree across the yard there. And, and in a few seconds, I'll be back in 1978, swinging on an old tire tied to a big limb. 
Next thing I know, I'm skating through the 1980s with acid-washed jeans and this, this stupid haircut, trying to impress the girls. Then one of those girls is my daughter. And I'm looking at her like she don't got enough clothes on to be seen in public. Then, then I'm back in the lounge chair. This lounge chair, with everything aching or on fire. Struggling just to sit up straight without passing out. Staring out at the same damn tree. The naked limb just begging for a tire swing, wondering where the time went. You know, when I was growing up, the word was that if nothing went seriously wrong in the, in the meanwhile, you could expect about a hundred years to live. I guess they were right. I, I lived a hundred years. But in half that time. Okay. But where the hell were we? All right. Me, Joe... The other guy and Mount Castle's deer sticker. Okay, kid. For posterity and the children who don't know nothing if it ain't off the digital teat. I'd like to know more about Elder Montcastle. I did some research on him overnight, and he's something of a footnote to the whole Brotherhood of Malky Resort. A new shepherd had been chosen, and the essence of Gourmand was being transferred to the new host. Gourmand the second. Right. You, uh, Joe, and Brother Loving were asked to leave. And in fact, I wanted the heck out of there. I had no dog in that fight. No desire to wear a robe and talk stupid about things best left to pastors and popes. So I decided, fill up my tank and I'll be on my way. But Mountcastle had different ideas. Mountcastle was an angry guy. He didn't like Joe. She was some kind of heretic or false god or some nutty stuff. I don't know. <coughs> he, was, he was just full of high-octane crazy. I didn't get where that anger was coming from, except that somebody slapped a name tag on his chest that said, Hello, my name is the Prophet. And a lot of people in that old spooky castle didn't seem to like it. At the same time, when I told them to fuel up my truck and I'd get out of their hair, uh, nobody pulled out the keys to the pumps. Uh, you know, sometimes you get thrown into stuff that makes no sense. And, and it's got nothing to do with you. When I thought about that night, and I hadn't thought about it in years. It came back chained together and balled up with other memories. Um, park your ass, kiddo. Looking back at all that happened, I gotta tell you that I don't remember many of the details. At least not in the order or exact way they happened. Maybe that, that, that whole links analogy isn't right, because chain links don't do what memories do over time. Memories tend to swim around the time stream, dress up in other memories. I could tell you that this time took place middle of the summer, and that the next day's tale took place in autumn. Sometime later, I'll tell someone else the story, and I'll recall freezing, freezing my ass off, standing in a foot of snow. In my head, people appear older or younger than they were when things happen. Doctors tell me the brain is a tricky thing for a man in my condition. It doesn't surprise him that I remember most folks the way I last saw them. Which, more often than not, is a gray, black, bloated corpse glaring at me with unblinking, hungry, yellow eyes. Are you up to continuing? 
you seem a little tired. Boy, you ask me that again, and that recorder of yours is going to get an exclusive interview with your prostate. Of course I'm tired. I'm a 50-year-old man stuck in a 90-year-old body. Everything hurts. It hurts to remember. It hurts to, it hurts to articulate what I remember. Shit, it even hurts to think about how much it didn't use to hurt. Christ, I wish I had some vodka. Oh, just a tall, cold lager. Instead, I get tubes of chalky paste and vitamin injections. Hardly a beer and a cheesesteak. God, when I was a kid, I... Oh, God, I... Uh, I... Yes, sir? When I, when I was a kid of maybe 16 or 17, I watched a good friend of mine, Cubby Taylor, bleed to death on a sidewalk. Despite all the bloodshed that came after in the bad times, this remains fresh. Like this morning's flowers or my wife's perfume. I was sitting on the concrete wall that rose up about a foot over Cubby's head. Cubby was this little kid about shoulder height on me and I wasn't all that tall. He thought he should talk tough to keep the bullies away. His dad told him that if you stand up to a bully, the bully would back down. It, well, it worked in his little suburban elementary school. His weekend karate classes helped too. But when he moved to the inner city and started up with the kids who crap bigger things than Cubby, it didn't last too long. Cubby was a good kid. <laughs> I know that's got to be the start of every boy's eulogy, right? But Cubby Taylor, he was good people. Who, who, who come from good people. Nice folks who had it rough, but, but he could have been the worst punk ever raised by a no-good drunk. No kid deserves to die like that. Not understanding why or how or who. <laughs> it was just... It was just one minute standing there telling me about some TV show he saw the night before. And the next, just gone. I didn't even notice the three kids walking past him till the last one. Savage little bastard named Teddy him in the neck with a screwdriver. Like I said, one minute he's talking up this show. The next, I'm watching him spray blood all over the wall and my sneakers. I didn't move. Didn't say a word. I couldn't. I was afraid his dying might be, Jesus, I don't know, contagious? Jerked around a little and his. His hands were reaching, snatching at the air. Like, I don't know, like someone might hand him a cork. For the whole Teddy tore in his neck. But 
that wasn't Kabi. It was the life underneath Kabi. Automatic, like his, like his fainting heartbeat, dying breath, like an eater, but with a soul stuck inside. You know, I always wondered what Cubby felt. If he blacked out when his head hit the sidewalk, or if he saw things clearly after. He drowned in himself. No screaming, no pleading, no last-minute hero heralded by sirens. Just a circle of strangers and me, staring and waiting. Like his dying there was some form of street theater. I can't imagine why someone would do that to another human being. You and me both, kiddo. So 20 years later, I'm in a dim hallway of the Makwe Resort. Brother Loving is to my left. Joe, to my right. This average, darky-looking guy is in front of us in a black hooded robe and the smell of a hard day's work. It isn't magic. It isn't Not happy with any of us. They shape our dream. I've come to you in yours. In your dreams, you do what your heart desires, elder brother. Would you like to hear the details? Would you like to know how I felt spread atop your altar? Stop it. You're not useful to us if you distract our research. If you have no use, then Duralta should sleep. Sleep? I never sleep. I walk endlessly, here or on the shores of Jed Carcosa. <laughs> then I'm sorry. Duralta. No! Get away from her! I guess by the time anyone who could do anything got there, it was just a matter of getting rid of the body and spraying down the sidewalk. We stood around, a couple dozen school kids and neighborhood people, trying to figure out how we should be reacting. Looking at each other like, should we applaud? Should we be screaming with our hands over our heads? Who's going to fix this? We were talking about Brother Loving, Mr. Peters. Not the boy on the sidewalk. In that hallway, Mark, I was a 16-year-old kid again. I saw a flash of light around my face, and my eyes flooded with the daylight of that schoolyard. And I wiped a glob of Cubby's blood out of my eye. I heard the blade that dug into Brother Loving's neck like a carving knife into a juicy, fat turkey. But I only saw Cubby fall to the sidewalk. That's the thing about them. For a moment, a long moment in that real instant it happened, I wasn't looking at Brother Loving laying there. I was looking at Cubby. Then, in that moment of paralysis, I was looking up at my 16-year-old self, sitting up on a concrete wall. Um, I know, you got nothing. Well, I just wanted you to get a feel for the way things were. What I was feeling. Because these days, you don't hear much about such things. I froze. Me. With Joe standing there with me, facing the same dangers. What happened? 
I don't really know. Every time I see that moment in my head, it doesn't make sense. I was flying above it, living in a mist. Sometimes I'm watching myself trying to act, and Joe is there, standing in front of this perfectly rational-looking man holding a bloody knife. Joe didn't need Brother L to take the knife for him. I imagine he wanted to, but Joe was able to get Moncastle to walk away. All I remember was that Joe's voice and her mannerisms changed. That fog I first felt watching Montcastle minister to those children when I arrived back. And Mark, I don't know if that fog was there at the time or if I let it roll in over the old brain in years since. But either way, what was said and done in those moments went beyond the telling of it. The two of them went beyond being who I knew them to be. Joe, you know, even with her bag of different personalities, showed me that she was more a creature of dreams, maybe nightmares, than of my world, our world. And she held me to my spot, staring at myself through dead eyes. In dreams, I sort of see it a little better. Like, like, like I'm there with Brother Loving and with Cubby, trying to tell them from my place down the river of time that it'll all be worth it. It'll all be all right. Teddy will burn in hell, and the cause Loving died for was just. And those moments I share with those ghosts in my dreams seem real-er and more useful than the actual moments I lived. Now, I, I, I don't know if any of that made sense to you, Mark, but I'm sure you can put your local brain care specialists on it to decide if I'm crazy senile or derive gratification from experiencing real life gore porn. <laughs> well, there's your data. You analyze it. I can tell you that I have no real memory until I woke up in a cold stone room with some old man babbling. And so I wonder, if I don't give two shits, can I still give a shit? I mean, are there degrees to giving shit? And why is shit the currency of one's concern? I tell someone I don't give a shit, and that means I don't care. But by giving a shit, I care? So by giving two shits, do I care twice as much? It just what? doesn't make... What the f... What the fuck are you talking about? Hey, there he is. Welcome back to the world of the living, so to speak. Back from the arms of Morpheus comes our hero. What the hell were you talking about? Giving a shit. Just keeping your brain moving. I always believe that when in a coma or unconscious, part of your brain can understand what's going on out here. You were touchy there for a while. You lost some blood and you've been beat up pretty good lately. Your body's forcing you to take it easy right now. I dreamed about a lake. Joe was there. No wait, no wait. It wasn't. It wasn't Joe. It was like I could see the different people inside her, including Duralcha. On a lake of blood, drifting towards the ruins of an ancient city under two dying suns. It was was I talking in my sleep? No. We all have that dream around here, Ken. Part of it's the medication. Part of it's the trauma. But I think... Where's Joe? Don't move too much. Here are all the answers to your questions. You're at the Makwe Resort. She brought you in here with some sort of seizure. Joe brought you out with the others. Others? What happened? Elder Montcastle, the guy who attacked you, is gone. We think he left the entire resort. Joe is okay, but she left. 
No, I don't know where she went. Brother Lovin, unfortunately, died taking a strike aimed at your heart. Wait, Joe, Joe just left? Why? I was getting to that. A lot has happened in the last two days. Two days? Before you can do shit about it, you need to calm down. We should have lost you. Some of us sat here with you sundown to sunup just... What about Joe? Don't bark at me, little man. You have no idea the situation you're in. If I answer you in ten words or less, it will just get confusing. So shut up and lay back, Kenneth. You've been out for about two days. Elder Montcastle tried to assassinate you. Assassinate? And Joe. He figured you'd be easier because you don't got any of that supernatural mojo that Joe allegedly has. But why kill me? Some diesel fuel and rations. I'd be in Quebec right now. Because the heir to Shepherd Gourmand commanded it. Just before the selection of a new host, Montcastle was summoned to an audience with a fat bag of rot where he was told this prophecy about me was true. And if I was allowed to live and meddle in the affairs of the Brotherhood, the secrets he could reveal would be lost. Montcastle, a holdover from the days when the Makwe Resort was a research center, simply wanted things to run smoothly. He saw Gorman as an ambassador from the world of the Eaters. And so long as Gorman didn't bring the infection to his camp, he'd bow to the will of the shepherd. Who was selected to replace Gormand? It doesn't matter. Once the host received the infection from Gorman, the human side was dead. Shepherd Gorman, the second, a half-ton of cold, dead meat on a throne of bloody stone, woke up. And the first thing he did was call upon Montcastle and a few loyal red robes for new orders. Elder Montcastle. Shepherd, I remain your loyal servant. I smell blood. Loving, and the truck driver. I do not smell the prophetess. She is gone, fled the estate. Unfortunate. She doesn't matter any longer, Shepard. We have you to guide us with unfiltered truth. We are alive, awake among the stars, open to the final truths of the universe. We are hungry. Elder Castle, who would you bring to nourish us? I... I would give any. Any you ask. Bring us the children. What? Hold your places, men. Shepherd Gourmand, we agreed. Bring the children unto me to see the fate of their beloved. Bring them to my feet so they may learn and obey. Brother Archer. Shepherd? Attend us. Y yes Shepherd. The human quality of loyalty is a primitive form of our collective will. Where billions of minds work for the one greater consciousness, so you and your order work together for us. Disloyalty is the way of discord. Each piece knows its purpose. Each aspect of the collective served the higher cause. Do you understand us, Brother Archer? I, I, I don't fully. I wish to, Shepard. Your meat is firm and fresh. You are strong. Th th thank you, sir. You must eat of me, so I may eat of you. In the eating, each of us grows stronger. Eat you, Shepard? You four in front, attend. Brother Morrison, Brothers Reddick, Johnstone, Courtley, front and center. What are you doing, Shepherd? So clear and simple is the mind of man. So eager to please if it secures his desires. You will partake in the sacrament, brothers. Understand that our crude way was to come to you and share our lives with you. 
to you, we are violent, savage, a violation of the flesh. Know you well, this was not our intent. A billion sorrows followed our arrival. We hope to make amends by sharing the wonders of the universe of God with you. Amen. 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 All among you are blessed. Oh yes, you are many times blessed. Come closer to us. Shepard, I reluctantly point out that we have not observed the ritual of containment. Your... your arms and legs, they need to be removed. Indeed, Elder, and they shall. Brothers loyal, brothers true. I know what lives in your hearts. Sins and regrets and grief of depths unknowable. I offer you freedom from this pain. I offer you brotherhood with a new family of life within us. What the hell are you doing? Eat! Eat of my body! Drink of my blood! Take up your blades! Drink from the well of infinity! Eat from the tree of wisdom! Cleanse your sins and rest your passions! Take my arms and feast, my brothers! Join me! Join me among the stars! <laughs> Stop! He's infected, you idiots! He's... It's the change. The change. It hurts. It hurts. Shepherd. It's the change. Oh, take me. Take me. Take me. My body for your soul. <laughs> so it begins, Elder. As it is known, if you partake of my flesh, you too shall be cleansed. However, if you are brought unto us through the brothers, you will be Montcastle the Lesser, slave to our desires, a minion in a master's shell. <laughs> I can see. Yes. What of it, Elder? Master or slave? Monster? Or God? Don't say a word, kiddo. The expression on your face is enough. Mifflin told me how this all went down. How Joe ran to him first, told him to help me. Then she ran off. If he hadn't come along, I would have been Gorman's first entree for his brothers. And then Mifflin, a few dozen others. Brother Loving wasn't cold before the new brotherhood got to him, I'm told. But who saw all this? Joe? You? Mifflin and some red robes heard their comrades screaming in the chamber, looked in and saw five corpses at Gourmand's feet, and Montcastle standing there like they were all just gunned down like animals. That's how the Civil War started. Wait, hold on. War? When the red robes saw their comrades dead, a lot of them attacked the shepherd. Montcastle ran off into the woods. Did Elder Montcastle take, uh, what was it, communion? I don't know what choice he made. I never saw him. I vaguely remember dreams I had of Joe driving Montcastle off into the woods. 
Anything I know about those days, I learned in dreams. Dreams? Uh, what do you think of dreams, Mark, old boy? Dreams? You mean like dreams for one's future, dreams versus goals, dreams as... Dreams. You go to sleep and fly like Superman. Or you're running for no reason and can't stop. Or see someone you never expect to meet again. Dreams can hold your world together. I know a bunch of guys who did nothing for days but sit on a roof and share their dreams about days long dead. That's the kind of thing you can't pass down. Dreams are unique to the generation. You can look back and put together stories about what it was like to live back then. But those of us who spent time back then can relive those times. You know how some memories are triggered by a simple scent? Something on the air just drifts by and you're suddenly back ten years with a vivid memory of someone's voice? Their smile, their single moment so real you swear it lives just behind your own eyes? That's advanced dream, kiddo. The senses all tie into that dream state. And I dream. Oh, I dream. Come ashore, come ashore. Can such things be? A hand through the clouds waves, shadows cross-cast by ancients, cold suns, one great, one frail. When the suns sink and mask the distant hiatus, Casilda will awaken. Who are you? Step onto the shore. What is this place? You cannot go back. Step onto the shore. Where are you going? Wait, come back! Step onto the shore and follow. Come into the ruins. Step through the veil. The sun will set. The veil will rise. Step onto the shore. I can't. There's something in the water. Then you cannot follow, and you cannot return. You remain adrift in ageless waters, suspended in undeath. Follow me. Step onto the shore. Joe? Joe, I see you. Stay there. I can't reach you. Joe, please. Let me throw you my line. Help me get to... Wait! Where are you going? Follow. 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 But I couldn't follow. It wasn't Joe I was following, but that darker spirit, Duralcha. And I felt like Duralcha was being pulled away from my mind, and maybe that was a good thing. I kept staring at the gray shore in the distance, ignoring the growing sense that there was something in the water of the lake below me, waiting for me to take that step. So I stood in my little metaphorical boat, frozen and empty, a dream that did not end or expand or jump cut until I woke up to that Give two shits nonsense from Mifflin. What the fuck is going on up there? We've evacuated the refugees from inside the main building and pushed them into the woods. We got a little camp, something I set up secret-like with some of the community leaders in case something bad like this went down. What's going on inside the building? Is that where I am right now? It's a stone outpost about two miles from the site. It's got a beautiful view of the resort building, so we can tell if we're about to get swamped with eaters from the inside. We? I've got 20 brothers on our side. Gourmand has about 50. The good news is we have the arms. The bad news is they're all dead. Eaters, but different. They can think and use tools. They're slow, like old men, but they're still strong. Right now, they're protecting Gourmand for some reason. 
We got red robes on the bottom floor of the resort, containing them upstairs, and we're resupplying them the best we can from here. Pretty soon, they're gonna have to fall back, especially if the hostages become soldiers for the bad guys. Kenneth, if these things get out and start to infect people... I understand. Any idea how we can contain them? Got any TNT? No, not yet, anyway. Basically, we're laying siege to this whole compound. We've got most of the exits covered or blocked, but that won't keep them once they decide to make a move, and that'll be soon. They haven't eaten since they picked Brother Lovin's bones clean and tossed them off the Skyview balcony. How many able-bodied people do we have out there? Aside from the brothers, I mean. Able-bodied? 20, 30 out of maybe 200? Half of them just kids, suburbanites, aliens to nature. Most of them are scared to death. They're scared Eldermont Castle is out there, maybe others like these new eaters. I don't understand. Where did Joe get to? Don't know. Can't know with her, I'm afraid. We can't plan on her help. Look, Ken, we're having a meeting tonight. Half the people out there want to just run. They don't care what's out there. They just want to head north for the winter and hope these things freeze. So, let them go. Let them go? Half these people wouldn't even survive camping out in their own yards back home. We're holding them together however we can. And this is something new, something dangerous. Maybe it's happening in other parts of the world, but all this pagan mumbo-jumbo we've been putting up with about peeking into a larger world has led to this. It can't get out of here, Kenneth. And I need all the help I can get to convince these people that what they're gonna face out there is bad. But it will only get worse if... Worse than the end of the world, Mifflin? Well... Mr. Mifflin! One sec. Go ahead. There's movement on the landing just above the main floor. It's... It's Shepard Gormont, sir. He's just standing... Well, sitting at the top of the patio. No guards. He said he wants to talk to the leader of the insurgency. Oh, he does. Take him out. Bullet to the head. I can't, sir. He says he's got two dozen of the kids from our classroom with him. And I'm pretty sure your grandson is one of them. Kids? I thought you told me the brothers had them all out. We thought we did, but Brother Sunray forgot the daycare ward. I told you, specifically, to secure the daycare ward and bring those kids to me. That's Tate you're telling me is in there. I'm sorry. We lost four brothers and two kids in the gunfight leaving the site. We're just getting a full headcount now, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Damn it. I'll be right up. Grandson? What the hell is going on, Miff? The only reason I stuck around this nuthouse for so long, it's my grandson. My last grandson. Last? Tate is my youngest girl's boy. He'll be nine next month. Why is he here? Was he bit? He needs regular medication. No, none of these kids were infected. You saw all this stuff out in the world, Ken. Sick kids, diabetic kids who don't have insulin, asthmatics, all that stuff we never think about. Tate, Tate got through it all. Through the death and the running and the nights of screaming. I had 11 grandchildren. 11. Tate is the last. I get it, miss. Calm down. He's the reason I stay here, Ken. I gotta deal with this. He's gonna kill Tate. Okay, let me help. You stay here. I gotta... I was no father, but I know what parents, or even grandparents, act like when their kids are in danger. They act like idiots. Irrational. Dangerous. Granted, Mifflin might have been used to pressure in politics or business, but you see a light in a man's eyes turn to a fire... You can bet that their choices aren't going to be reasonable. So I did the old western okie-dokie and popped him good across the noggin. Some of those kids, I didn't know how many, probably came up to this place in the back of my truck. Now, I was duped, but I felt some responsibility for them being in trouble. Maybe that made me emotionally compromised, too. I made my way out to the resort on the back of a golf cart. 
There, in the late afternoon sun, under the light of a sick and twisted creator, sat the biggest wad of fat, dead flesh I'd ever seen. Hello, fat boy. Enjoying the day spa? Wait. Uh-huh. Looks like your boys left you all alone. Not alone. You are here. With legs to walk. A mind in which to make good decisions. Great. An undead guidance counselor. You'd make some mad money on the motivational circuit. Hey, I'm dead, but I'm upbeat and making it happen. I could be your publicist to the 10% of the world your kind didn't kill off. I love your smell. You reek of fear. Thanks for covering your dead junk, by the way. I was hoping we could get this... Your children are quite delicious. Fresh. No poisons, no gristle. Uh-huh. Well, we can't have that. No. There is no more meat. No more meat. You tell me you did them all in, and I'm gonna burn your fat ass out of here. No. Children's still alive. Only snacked on one. He was very sick, but tasty. No more meat because we want you to bring us the prophetess. I don't know where she is. And we will eat more. Turn the rest like us and send them out to get you. Get you in the night we might. What do you want with her? And for every day you are gone, you must bring us treats. Treats to eat. They are so cold out there. Let them come and be warm. We will warm them. Just a few. What the hell are you talking about? I'm not going to bring you victims. I can put a hole right through you before that happens, fatness. Hungry boys lust for the taste, to pull his insides from his living body, to spread his flesh open and devour him as he screams for his grandfather. And I will be sure Mr. Mifflin hears his screams. I will eat his eyes, his fingers, and then each child in turn. The Gucci's are coming. Maybe tonight, to buy little children and lock them up tight. Mifflin was not happy with me, but I really didn't care. I guess I could reach back and repaint my actions as some sort of noble gesture to step up and do my part. But really, it was a matter of choice. In retrospect, I'm sure Mifflin could have given his boy a look of reassurance, or just shown that he was taking care of things. The kid wouldn't know me from the moon. But in the end, he would have had to make the same choice I made. Would Mifflin have been able to bargain the devil down to one sacrifice per week instead of a day? Would he have been heartless and inhuman enough to stand there while Gorman had his newborn brotherhood show me they meant business by carting out a pretty young nurse, stripping her naked on the patio and then tearing her into chunks with her cold, dead hands? I just kept telling myself that her sacrifice bought us all seven days to track down Joe or figure out a way to burn those monsters into ash. I didn't know that poor nurse. She was just a kid like me then. There was no sneering or maniacal laughter from the brothers. I think there was a glimmer of hope in the poor girl's eyes that she might be leaving with me, like I was her hero for getting them to release her. Lord knows why, but when the dead... Hands started tearing at seams and popping 
buttons. It was a kind of sickness I'd never seen before. I've seen mean. I've seen the insanity of people like Teddy who are empty of anything but hate for other people. But this, this was a symbol of what they thought of us. Food or transportation. She stopped screaming when they ripped the tongue out of her gaping mouth. And she died choking on her own blood. Eventually, there was nothing left of the woman to distinguish her from something on ice at the butcher's. And the whole bloody, gory bunch of them kept turning to me, expecting a predictable human response, an attack, or a frightened threat. But I think Gorman smelled it in my blood, weeping from my pores. The chemistry of my rage was clear to him. And I think it scared it, too. And I looked up at Mifflin's grandson, standing in a group of little kids, all of them in shock. And I tried to reach out with my mind to tell him I'd make it right. I'd fix it. You had no promise they wouldn't simply do what they wanted anyway before or after you brought Joe back. Of course not. But what else did we have to go on? To keep it together, I had to accept that some anonymous nurse died for a reason and that that logical structure made sense. I could work with that because otherwise I had nothing but chaos and madness in my head to work with. Let me through to that son of a bitch. You! If you put my grandson at risk, I will skin you alive. Mifflin, shut up! He's fine! He's fine! All the kids are intact. They're safe. Safe? What do you mean, safe? You just go off and meet with that thing. You don't let me handle this? Who the hell do you think you are? We got a week. A week? A week to do what exactly? Plan. Use that brain of yours and tell me what we can do. We've got people here, real human beings who can fight. We've got brothers on our side. We can do something. What are their demands? What have they given us a week to do? Tenderize ourselves? Put our affairs in order? They want Joe. They want me to find Joe and bring her in. Well then, that's your plan, boy. You get your ass in that there truck, you drive out of here, and you find Joe. Meanwhile, I'll see what I can do here living like deer in the woods and hope they don't make like wolves while you're gone. You want me to go out there and find a woman who ran away from us? Shit, Kenneth, I don't give a damn about Joe or anyone else rolling around inside a scrambled head. She's gone and good riddance. You go out there and you find real people hungry for a fight. You go out there and you bring us some fighters. Promise them anything they can take. So long as they go in that castle and take it, I don't care. You bought my little boy a week to live without me, without his medication, without hope. When come this time next week, I don't see you riding up the hill with some fucking cavalry. I will know who killed my world, and it won't be Gourmand. I pigged him right. Smart man, that Mifflin. He was as old then as I am now, still master of his universe. He was going to fight. He knew those people, those sheeple in their nylon luxury tents and their Cabela's camping gear. Watching them out there, tossing around a football like it was a holiday at the local KOA after what I saw happened to... happened to... to... <clears throat> Watching them put up shelters and firing up the grill, just as casual as you... Please, I couldn't be with them anymore. They were suburban sheep. Their ignorance was necessary to keep them in line. But it didn't matter to that part of me that just wanted to scream at them. Mifflin could prepare them better than me. He could lead them. I knew the outside better. 
So it made sense for me to go. Go where? find help. The road is like a long bulletin. One of the blessings of enemies like the Eater was, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> until that point, they couldn't read. Every street sign, abandoned storefront, billboard, and, and really every flat surface was an invitation or a warning. The language of the road in shorthand and simple hastily painted on its walls, and sometimes even the road itself. I don't know where it started or how it spread, but you could drive up a street in a small town and see these little markers that told you there were people nearby, how many, their condition, and direction arrows to find them. Originally, they were intended for rescuers to follow. Occasionally, you'd see them blotted out or crossed over by rescuers or Samaritans who got there too late. But there were a lot more that I followed to empty houses or burned-out storefronts. You could also roll into town and see these dirty, tattered sheets blown in the wind. They called to anyone. Help. Rescue. Children inside. Need medicine. Trap. Sometimes, they'd paint on the boards they used to shore up their windows. We're dying. It's one of the saddest things you gotta do, really. You drive a few miles on the hope that one of those signs will lead you to people. Most times, if you're lucky, you find a room of dead people. If you're in for a lousy day, you get a house full of rotters springing to life out of hibernation. By the late fall, a drive down Main Street in central Pennsylvania stirred up more trouble than anything else. Those symbols and signs felt more like grave markers than symbols of hope. And it would only get worse. People who survived in closed areas started getting sick, spreading disease, the cozy little campouts families started turned real ugly when they ran out of chunky soup and bottled water. We weren't a society used to roughing it. Not by a long shot. By staying in one place, they attracted more and more eaters. Doors and walls can only hold back so much. Meanwhile, the people inside have to deal with the isolation, the infighting. Stress, sickness, fire, flood, hungry animals, poisonous plants. The culling of the American herd took place between fall and spring that first year. But we drove on. Three days into our allotted seven, we reached the end of our tether. Going further would have put us at risk of going over the deadline, getting back. Rains we drove through heading south would make slower going on the way back. The last Happy Valley militia camp was a little mobile camp set up inside a farm. My notes told me it was a recruitment site, but when we arrived, it looked like every other promising lead sprayed across a highway billboard. It also helped that the brothers who worked with us knew about their Happy Valley Militia satellite camps. At least one of them, where a new crop of kids was supposed to be picked up. It was a two-day trip at best, but if I couldn't raise an army from the roadside clues, I decided it might be a good idea to partner up with a second trucker, a gunner, and head out. For good measure, B hooked me up with a firebug named Murph to give us some firepower. But up until this point, Mr. Peters, you've been telling me how you wanted nothing to do with this fight. You could have just left. That's what Joe did, and Montcastle, and they were the faithful. What changed your mind? Eh, it's like the song says. 
You're gonna have to serve somebody. I've lived a dirty life. You know, I, I did some things selfishly. Walked away from some responsibilities. But it, it felt like if I left Mifflin, I... Well, look, kid. I've been frozen and boiled. Seared by God's world. And I still got bits of glass and metal under my skin. I got scars under my wrinkles. And even my wrinkles got scars. <laughs> but that's nothing. Those kids and those monsters, those people, they needed someone. In a world where all the good heroes were gone, I decided it was up to me to just be responsible. Fortunately, the maps were accurate, but the site at the end of the line didn't look promising. What's it look like, Ken? I'm rolling onto the site now. Yeah, it's on fire. Fuck, it's lousy with rotters. The command center is a crater. The midway looks like it melted. There's no sight to compromise. Now we still have a strong signal coming from the bunker. 30 meters northwest of your position. There's about a hundred eaters between me and that position, B. Well, that should make the man with the flamethrower on your roof very happy. Yeah, great for him. But this engine gets gunked up pretty easy. Hey, Murphy. Yeah? Is that thrower ready for action? Uh, I think so. You think? Great. Roger B. I've got Wily e. Coyote here and his Acme flamethrower strapped to my roof. Roger that, Ken. And I've got the chocolate marshmallows and graham crackers. Murph, I'll need you up top. We've got to clear off the bunker. What's it like outside? Like a whole Grateful Dead festival got hit by a bus. Just open the hatch, get up there, and start clearing me a path. What direction? Toward the fire pile that looks like it used to be a farmhouse. Looks like it burned down already. Yeah. Put on your headset. There's nothing left to burn but the dead. Holy hell. Just clear a path. open the hatch, I think we're safe. I can barely see the hatch through the smoke, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm seeing movement. Military types. You, in the hatch. We've got you covered with a napalm gun. Do anything stupid and we'll flush the entire tunnel with liquid fire. Guarantee we won't do anything else as stupid as this. But trust me, <coughs> we won't fuck with you. Oh, you big fire-breathing drunk. Do you mind if we take shots of the dead people, though? Murph, they're alive. Get the access door open. B, there's... Looks like civilians. Some in hospital robes. Get your doors open for... Fuck a doodle doo. What? Joe! Gucci's Chapter 5 starred James Baxter as Ken, Brian Lincoln as Mark, and Gwendolyn Jensen Woodard as Joe. Featuring Ray Saltrelli as B, Eric Avedisian as Brother Archer, Larry Bailey as Brother Morrison, Doc Coleman as Brother Reddick, Peter Cavell as Montcastle, John Lincoln as Gorman II, B. Busby as Mifflin, 
Ayub Cody as McInnes, and Michael L. Stokes as Grant. The episode was written and directed by Jay Smith. Show running voice direction and editing by Brian Lincoln. Sound design and effects by Michael L. Stokes. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Michael L. Stokes. Musical direction by Michael L. Stokes and Jay Smith. Featuring music by Kevin McLeod, Josh Woodward, and Jonathan Colton. Used courtesy of the Creative Commons license. Themes and soundtrack composed and performed by Michael L. Stokes. HG World is a production of 3015 North Studios, with content used with permission under the Creative Commons license. For more information on this production, visit us online at goodmorningsurvivors.com and find us on Twitter at HG underscore world. 